Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Welcome everyone if you're new here. My name is Vian, I'm the pastor and it's an honor and a privilege to be here tonight and to share the word of God with you. For those of you over Zoom, welcome. We miss you guys. We love you. For those who are sick and isolating, we're praying for you. And we can't wait to see you guys again. Um, but for those of us that are here and for those of us even over Zoom, we just like to, to make a statement you know, from the church's side that as long as it is possible, we will always create an opportunity to gather together. We will always make that opportunity available for people to come together and uh, to create that space. You know, Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 1 verse 11, and he says to them, I long to see you that I might impart some spiritual gift to you. That is that, that we might be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. And he's writing this letter and he says, I can't do this in the letter that I'm writing. I can't record a video to you. I, I can't send it over YouTube. I can't send it over a voice note. We need to be together for this to happen. And that special moments on Sunday, coming together, lifting up God's name, the fellowship that we have afterwards, Sunday, when we meet in small groups on Wednesday. There's nothing that can, can change that or can you know, add to that. You know, there's no other way that we can experience what God has called us to do when we come together. And like I said with Dan in the beginning as well, you know, it's not something that the traditional people thought out when they were bored on a Sunday. Hey, let's meet together. Read from scripture and sing songs. No. It's God that calls us to be together so that we can embody something, that we can encourage one another, that we can bring our gifts so that God can be glorified. But with that being said, we also want you guys to be safe. Please ensure to adhere to the COVID regulations. For those of you that are not here, we're praying for you guys. And if you feel sick, stay home. Let's be safe. And also for those of you that want to isolate in this time and want to stay home, we'll always make it possible for you guys to be able to join and to be part as much as we can, can do that. But we'll always make a space, if it is possible, to meet together. But I also want to encourage you guys, whatever you do, let it be according to your faith and your conviction. Don't just decide something because someone else decided it, but really take it to God in prayer and whatever you do, let, let that decision produce from faith. Let you do what you do from faith. And if you isolate, just keep practicing whatever your gift is. You know, to work on the gift that you have. Isolation is not a, not a good thing. And for some of us, you know, we need to note that. That it's more dangerous to stay away and be one side than it is to come together. God calls us to come together and encourage one another. All the more that we see the day drawing near. And I know for those with kids and everything, it gets exhausting sometimes as well. Last week I saw a mom coming, dad was at work and she's here with the two kids and she looks at me and she says, I wondered if I should have come even. I don't know if I'm even going to hear a word. But when it comes to kids and specifically with the message that we're going to look at tonight as well, we're called to make disciples and the primary disciples that we are called to make is our kids. So even if you come with them and you don't get a word in, at least you are teaching them the value of church and God's people coming together. You are making disciples. But before I go... What about it? Let me open for us in prayer and we dive into tonight's sermon. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can be here together, Father. Thank you that you are good, Lord. Thank you that we can come and lift up your name, Father. I pray, Lord, for tonight's message, Lord, and 
May the message that is heard, Father, that whenever you sent us out, Lord, whenever you give us a mandate, Lord, whenever you command us to do something, Father, firstly, the results, they are found in your hands, Lord. And when you send us out, Lord, you sustain us, Father. And you send us out with what we need, Father. It's not a burdensome task. But we pray, Father, that love may abound, Father, and that that love might compel us to go out, Father, and do what you've called us to do. Thank you, Jesus, for your example in every single area of life. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here, present with us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So the sermon that we're going to look at tonight, the title for it is The Foundation of the Disciples' Mandate. The Foundation of the Disciples' Mandate. Now, last week we spoke about living water, eternal food. You know, Jesus saying that my food is to do the will of him who sent me. I'm called to go out and to spread the gospel to the nations. This living water that we find and that every one of us needs. We are born with that need. Nobody's born a Christian. You're not born saved. And I said this morning many times that the traditional Afrikaner thinks so. I speak Afrikaans. I live in South Africa. Therefore, I must be a Christian. I don't even know if there's another option. But inevitably, we have a need. We have a thirst. We have a hunger. And we need God to come and do a work of salvation. Each one of us, we need to be born again like Jesus said. It doesn't happen automatically. We need to surrender. And the moment we taste that goodness of God, something in us wells up and we want to go and share that message to everybody that's out there. That is eternal food. But many times when we decide, no, we're going to go out and we're going to share the gospel with the nations. It's a commitment that we make. And many times we make the commitment, but we never quite get there. You know, who's with me? I'm going to do it sometime. Monday, Monday, don't start stuff on Mondays, it doesn't work. Even this, you know, start, either go tonight or start on Tuesday. And then sometimes, you know, we do that. And recently in our small group as well, when we spoke about evangelism and sharing the gospel to the world, we said, okay, let's have an action point. Let's for the next three years at least preach the gospel to one person every day. Just making a joke, by the way. Don't do that also. But many times we psych ourselves up, you know, and we're full of emotion. We're going to go out and we're going to do this. But it seldom lasts. And it's because it's not built on the right foundation. We need to ask ourselves, but what is the foundation? I believe when the foundation is set in place, the mandate will be sustained. At least if we focus intentionally on the foundation of it. And then before we begin, what is the mandate of a disciple? What is the mandate? Go into the nations. Spread the gospel, baptize them, teach them to observe all that Jesus has taught his disciples. That is the great commission. That is what we are called to go and do. But unfortunately, and many times we'd like to say in modern times, the problem is, but as we read scripture, we see that seldom a problem is a modern day problem. It's always been there. Just manifest in different ways. As technology grows, as stuff around us gets bigger and better, just looks a little bit different, but the core issue remains the same. And the second question, and where the problem arises many times when it comes to this question of the disciples' mandate is, but who is a disciple? See, a while back I was speaking to a guy, in a traditional Afrikaner, speaks Afrikaans, lives in South Africa, therefore must be a Christian. And I asked him a question, you know, would you say that you are a Christian? Yes, definitely. No hesitation, immediately answered the question. And then I asked him, but would you say that you are a disciple? He paused for a little while and he said, no. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Can you be a Christian without being a disciple? 
Somewhere, man likes to believe or would like to believe that there is a gospel that saves but does not sanctify, nor does it send out. That is not the gospel. The true gospel saves, sanctifies, and it will always send us out. If one of those are missing, it is not the biblical gospel. Whatever God does in us, he wants to do through us as well. Each and every time. Each and every time. Wants to send us out. And the early church, you know, at least they didn't struggle with this too long. In the beginning they knew because they were just simply called disciples, called believers. And then Acts 11 happened. And we read in verse 26 that in Antioch the believers were first called Christians. In Antioch the believers were first called Christians. It's not a name that we gave to ourselves. What the people in Antioch said, they are Christians, they are little Christ-like ones. These people think, act, and sound like Jesus. The Jesus that was here, these people resemble him. These little Christ-like ones. And he actually puts it on a little bit of a higher standard than when we are used to today. When I call myself a Christian or someone else, I must be referring to someone who is like Jesus. What a standard. And scripture tells us in 1 John 2, 6, if we say we abide in him, we ought to walk in the exact same way that he walked. Tough standard. Do we fall short? Yes, often. But do we strive to be a little bit more Christ-like every day? Yes. Because that is a call of a disciple. We are all called to go because we are all disciples if we call ourselves Christians. And the mandate remains the same. But we need to understand the foundation upon which that mandate is built. Three points tonight. I'm going to try not to be too long. So let's read together and see what we can learn from this passage. Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20, says the following. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And something interesting about that passage as well, you know, when we read through that, and for you wondering if you want to get the whole glimpse of the story, Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20 and 21, and Acts 1, that first section, all speaks about the same time frame, after Jesus was resurrected to the time that he ascended into heaven. Jesus having these conversations with the disciples, he ate with them, he appeared to some, he taught them, gave them instructions and then ascended into heaven. But one thing that is so strange to me, you know, from this passage of scripture that Jesus, that we call the Great Commission that Jesus gives to the disciple, he doesn't simply say, go into all the nations and teach them to observe all that I've taught you because that would have included everything he just said. But he wants to make two things very clear. What I long for you to go and make is a disciple. They should do as you do. They should be who you are. They should think as you think. All that I've taught you. You shouldn't just impart to them, but they should also go and impart that to others. And then something that some churches see as a, a by-the-way doctrine or a by-the-way teaching, that's not that important. Baptism, Jesus highlighted that very specifically. Here. It's not just a, a by-the-way thing. But he highlights those, those two things. But to return to the foundation, what do you guys think 
is the first thing the disciples did after receiving this commandment. They go into an upper room and they pray for about a week and a half. They don't go anywhere. And we'll see now in a moment why it is that they prayed. By they doing that with that last verse in mind. It says the following in verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Whenever you read scripture and you see that word and, it links parallel statements together. Meaning these go together. You can't separate them. It would have been great, like for example, here in verse 19, if it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. If the and wasn't there, you could have just gone on vacation and that would have been fulfilling the great commission. Go therefore, just go. But the and is important, and make disciples. Tourists, not necessarily fulfillers of the great commission. If there's no disciple making involved. And when we look around us, the nations are around us. Doesn't mean you need to go abroad to do that. It just means that they were never intended to come. We were always intended to go. Because many times we want the world to act like the missionaries. Come to us. To a different culture, to a different setting where we speak a different language. The language of the Bible. But Jesus says no. I'm not saying don't invite people. I'm just saying go. Primarily we are called to go. And reach the world out there. But these things go together. We need to go and make disciples. And baptize them. And teach them. And behold, Jesus is with us. And the reason Jesus is making that statement is for two reasons primarily. He's saying nobody would be more invested in the mission than I will be myself. I will be with every single person that goes to make disciples till the end of the age. I will always be there. I'm more invested in this mission than anyone else will ever will be. And secondly, Jesus is saying, it's not a by-the-way statement. If my presence is not with you, this will not work. You will need it to do what I've called you to do. You won't be able to do it on your own. The presence of God needs to be with us. And you see, Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1 verse 4, it's part of the speech that he's giving to the disciples. And he says, don't depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Is the gift of the Holy Spirit before you go out. If I'm not physically present with you and if the Holy Spirit does not come to be with you, don't go. Just go and pray in a room. Don't even shoot a trailer video. Do nothing. Because on your own, you won't be able to do what I've called you to do. But when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. Then go. The Holy Spirit is not the presence of God. It is God with us. The Holy Spirit is God present with us, not just simply the presence or the power of God, but He is God with us. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but He needs to be with us. You know, many times we use this as a by-the-way statement. We get a bit discouraged or our work of evangelism doesn't go as we've expected it to go. Not seeing the fruit that we expected to see and then we remind one another, don't worry, remember Jesus is with you. But this is not a by-the-way statement. And we need to ask ourselves, what does it mean for Jesus to be with us? And the reason why it's so important is, look at the first call that Jesus gives the disciples. Matthew 4, verse 19, and Mark 3, verse 14. He says, and he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you. You cannot do it on your own. But as you are with me, so I will make of you fishers of men. 
And verse 14, and he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that parallel statement once again, that he might send them out to preach. You see, following Jesus and being with Jesus will inevitably lead to the Great Commission, one way or another. You know, I love how God puts scripture together. He doesn't allow us to become deceived. He doesn't allow us to think that we are something that we are not. And a question that we need to ask ourselves tonight if we are sitting here, is if you think you have been following Jesus for a long time, then you should have been sent out for a long time. You with me? I cannot follow Jesus without the inevitable coming. I send you to go and reach the nations. It will always lead to that. That is what he will make of us. Doesn't say he might. Doesn't say he can if he'd like. It says he will make of us, fishers of men. That is what he intends for us to do. And we know that because that's what he commands us to go and do. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. Even this last commandment that I just gave you. That is part of it. You need to go and do that. We need to be a disciple if we are to make disciples. And being a disciple inevitably will lead to making disciples. Or at least intentionally growing to a place to make disciples. You can lead people to where you are. As Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. If I'm saved, I can tell you about my story of salvation. And say that God can save you too. As I read a passage of scripture, I can go and tell that passage of scripture to someone else. But where I am, I can lead others to be there as well. But we need to be a disciple to make a disciple. And some having forgotten this, not being present of Jesus, not allowing him to impart what he needs to impart, has become a great hindrance to the work of the gospel. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But the question that we want to ask ourselves is why? Why is it so important to be with Jesus? What is it that happens in the being with him that enables us to go? What does he impart to us? What grows in us? What happens there that sends us out and that validates the message that we go and preach to the people around us? Two things that manifest. The first, we read here in Mark 12, verse 30 and 31, there's something that goes with the great commission and that is the great commandment. And it says the following, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commands greater than these. And Jesus knows if we neglect love, it will become a hindrance to the great commission. But if we grow in love, if he imparts it to us, if we understand it, it will become the greatest motivation to go out and reach the nation for the cause of Christ. Nothing quite like this. And it is as we follow and as we obey Jesus that we learn to love him more and more. We read in 1 John 4 verse 7, Brothers, let us love because love is from God. Everyone who loves knows God. The more we learn to know God, the more we grow in love. Inevitably, that just starts to flow out because God is love. Those who don't love don't know God. It's John writing that. That is where we grow in love. Paul writes 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ compels us. That is what compels us to go out. It is the love of God that turned to a love for man. And that compels us to go out. Love commands us to go and preach the gospel to a dying people. Or better said, to already dead people that need to come alive again. Because we are dead in our sins and our trespasses. Unless God comes and makes us alive together with Christ. 
But love compels us to go out. And not only does it compel us, not only does it motivate us to go out, it also validates the message we proclaim. John 13, 35, what does John write? By what will they know that we are disciples of God? By the love you have for one another, they will know that you are my disciples. By the love you have for one another. Romans 12, 9, what's the marks of a true Christian? Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. But love, love needs to be imparted to us. That takes us to the first point. The mandate of a disciple. In the presence of Jesus, we grow in love that validates and sustains the great commission. That is the great commandment. In the presence of Jesus, we grow in love that validates and sustains the great commission. You see, it's in the presence of Jesus that the sons of thunder turned into the apostle of love. James and John, the two brothers, I don't know if you've watched that episode on The Chosen, captured it quite well. Sons of thunder. In Luke 9, we read the story. People don't respond as they would have liked them to respond to Jesus. And what they asked Jesus is if they should call down fire on the people to consume them. I mean, come on. In the week, I said to people, you know, there's the same phrase in Scripture. Sometimes it's fortunate, sometimes unfortunate. And it's still true today. And that phrase is, here comes the disciples. Man, sometimes it's unfortunate. Here we come. And sometimes it's fortunate. Sometimes we go out of love and we preach the gospel. We give that word of encouragement. We glorify Christ. But other times, here we come again. But this time we judge. This time we don't speak the truth out of love. This time we're prideful, we're selfish. We get it wrong sometimes and sometimes we don't. But let's have grace with one another as we get it right and as we don't. But we need to grow in love. And if we neglect these, this thing, three things manifest, all of them bad. And there's no presence of God in our lives and we don't grow in love. And a simple way to test ourselves as well, we need to do it often. It's the most scripture that you read this week on the screen tonight. It's the most worship that went on this week, the songs that we did tonight. And it's the most praying that went on this week, the praying that went on tonight. Are you diving into the presence of God, following Him with everything in Him and obeying Him, growing in love? One of those cycles, the more I obey, the more I love God, and the more I love, the more I obey. It just simply goes on and on. And the same is true for disobedience, unfortunately. It works in the opposite direction. But when we neglect this, when that love is not imparted, it becomes the greatest hindrance to the gospel. It's what Maria shared with us when he spoke about the mile in the shoes of, Barnab uh, of uh, Nicodemus, that Toby Mac quote. The greatest cause of atheism in the world today is believers, Christians, that say they follow God with their words, but then step out the door and deny him by their deeds. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. We many times do that. And let me also just say this. No true Christian that really knows God will go away from God because of what people did. It doesn't work that way. We have grace with one another. We forgive easily. It doesn't say that we simply just remain in that place. But nobody moves away from God and his people because of what people did. If they truly know God. We need to say that as well. So that's the one thing. Hurt caused in the name of Christianity. 
when we don't allow God to come and impart love. The second thing that happens, we get burnt out. We try to go and do that because the presence of God is not with us that sustains us. We simply stop doing it altogether. We get tired. Don't want to do it anymore. But where God sends, He will sustain if we are with Him. And then the third thing, we never go out because we never truly learn to follow. We never really follow Jesus. We never really dove in, came to meet Him so that love could be imparted, so that it compel us to go out. If you've never went out in your life, you must ask yourself the question, but have I ever truly followed Jesus? Because nowhere does Scripture say simply pray a prayer or invite Jesus into your heart. It says lay down your life, take up your cross, follow Him. A bit more difficult, but worth it nonetheless. But if we truly follow, we will be sent out. So that is the one thing, how the presence of God and Jesus being with us manifests in our lives. And then there's another way that it manifests in our lives. It says here in the following, Jesus' presence with us, but then there's something given to Jesus that is the basis for our sending. It says in verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. Go therefore. Because all authority has been given to me, therefore go. Based upon the authority that I have received, I am sending you out. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is, how does the fact that Jesus has all authority influence the way we approach discipleship? How should our trust in the authority of Jesus manifest when it comes to spreading the gospel? Because of this, it should change the way. That's why Jesus is saying it. It's the foundation of our sending out. How should it change the way we go out? Two things primarily. If we understand that Jesus has all authority and that he is sending us out, it will lead to a life that is devoted to prayer and a boldness in going out when Jesus sends us. Paul understood this. Listen to what he says to Timothy. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 to 5. And this is just after he said in verse 15 in chapter 1 that this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost and that in me his patience and great forbearance might be displayed. And then he urges Timothy in verse 18, hold fast to the prophecies made about you, wage the good warfare, holding fast to faith and a good conscience. Because you know what Jesus came to do and because you know what you've been called to do, this is what I urge you to do. First of all then, based upon the fact that Jesus comes to save and you know what you've called to do. First of all then, I urge you that supplication, prayer and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions that we might live peaceful and quiet life. Godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. There is one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. I love what the Afrikaans says. There is one that God and man can forsoen. Christus Jesus. There is only one that can bring salvation. That is Jesus Christ. That is why we pray. Then verse 6 it says yes. He's the ransom given for many, which is the testimony given at the proper time. But it's always the right time to pray. First of all, then, pray. If I understand that I cannot save, only Jesus can, then I implore the one that can save to do so. Lord, 
Come and do what only you can do. That is safe. Your hand is not too short to save. But you can do that, Lord. And Paul understood this. And he implored Timothy to do the same. In Ephesians 3, from verse 14 to 21, he writes to the church in Ephesus. And he says, For this reason I bow my knee before our Father in heaven, according to whom every family on heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant us through his Spirit to be strengthened, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love with all of the saints may comprehend the breadth and the length and the depth in the love of God, that you might be filled with all the fullness of Christ. From salvation to maturity, I pray for it firstly. That is why I bow my knee before the Father, that he may grant you the strength through his spirit, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I'm employing the one that can save to come and save. And we need to do that also. Takes us to the second point. When we pray, we are building our foundation to the Great Commission and the authority of Jesus. When we pray, we are building our foundation to the Great Commission and the authority of Jesus. Our greatest labor in making disciples should be in prayer. In Colossians 4 verse 12, Paul writes and he says, Epaphras, your brother, is always wrestling in prayer on your behalf that you might stand fully mature and fully obedient in all the will of God. That is the best thing that we can do for one another. Always wrestling on your behalf in prayer. And I can't remember who said it, but like someone also said, someone said that trying to make disciples or spread the gospel without prayer is trying to sail a boat without the wind. Simply won't work. And you can learn how to set that sails just right. You can learn to know every inch of that boat, but if there is no wind, you will not sail. And you can learn to eloquently present a gospel message to people. And you can learn to debate and reason with everything in you. But if there is no wind, if you did not pray for the one that can save to save, don't be surprised when little happens. Don't be surprised when you get burnt out. Because the moment we go and try and reach the nations without prayer, we're ultimately saying, Lord, I think I have this one. Hold my coke and watch this move. Soon to realize now we can't do it on our own. But we need God to come and do what only he can come and do. So what does it mean? Do we only pray? Never go out? Because that's another misconception that we sometimes have. Some are called to pray and others are called to go. Some are called to read the Bible and others are called to pray. Man, we need to know the word of God in every area of life. All of us are called to pray. All of us are called to go. All of us are called to intercede. Paul didn't say when he wrote to Timothy, because Timothy was pastoring the church at Ephesus and he's giving them commands. And he says, don't, he doesn't say, first of all, then I implore you to call the intercessors together and tell them to intercede for all of the people. No, all of the people are called to pray for all of the people. Something that we need to do. But when we pray, we will be sent out. Be careful what you pray. Because you will be sent to do that. In Matthew 9, we read the story. Jesus seeing the crowds having compassion. He's telling them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send laborers into the field. The disciples go and they pray what happens in Matthew 10. They get sent out. Lord, send them. Okay, you go. 
That'll happen each and every time. When Jesus sends us to go out, we see in Matthew 28, verse 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. There's a sending, there's a go therefore. And to each and every one of us sitting here tonight, Jesus has now said, Go therefore, because this is his word. And he's telling us to go, to go into the nations and to do what he has called us to do. And when he sends us, he sends us on that authority. And the authority that he also gives to us. You know, this is something that the disciples understood. I quickly want to show you the first little quest that Jesus sent the disciples on. Listen to this. This is Matthew 10, verse 7 to 8. Be in mind, Matthew, that's a part of them. He got called the chapter earlier. So he's about a week or a couple of months into this journey. And here comes the first assignment. And Jesus said to them, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Sure, Lord, don't you want us to invite someone to church first before we do all of this? This is a little bit hectic. How is that for a first assignment? You go do that. You go do that. And again, I'm not saying don't invite people to church. And it's also not just for the 12 apostles. I know there's many teachings going around that these were limited to a special group of men. No, no, no. In Luke 9, the same story. Jesus sends out the 12. Luke 11, he sends out the 72 with exactly the same mission. They just didn't need to raise the dead because the 12 already did that. Everybody's probably alive by that time. But that's the only thing that they didn't need to go and do. And when Jesus says, go and teach them all that I have commanded you, he doesn't say accept this. He doesn't say accept that. But one thing that we do now as a church, that when the 72 came back, in verse 17, they said, oh, they came with joy. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he says, do not rejoice in that. Yes, I've given you authority. But do not rejoice in that. Rejoice in the fact that your names are written in heaven. And as a church, we want to do that also. We want to keep the main thing, the main thing. Lord, if you want to deliver, deliver. We are here and we are ready to obey. If you want to heal, heal. But we know that there's one thing, and there's one thing that we are certain of, and that is that you always want to save. And we will keep the main thing, the main thing. But if you want to use us to deliver, to heal, we will not say no. We will do what you've sent us to do. And the reason why they did this, because they understood the simple principle. Look what Jesus did in verse 1. Matthew 10 verse 1. And he called to them his 12 disciples and he gave them authority. Of an unclean spirit to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And what this teaches is not about how long you've been in church. It's not about if you've read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's not what it's about. It's simply understanding where our faith lies and that Jesus gives authority to those who truly seek him. It's not about how long you are in church. It's not about the experience you have. It's not about your learning. It's not about the way you reason. Simply in the fact that Jesus gives authority to those who truly seek him. And I want to encourage us, whenever we go out and you want to preach the gospel to someone and you begin to doubt, realize in that moment that you have shifted your faith from the authority of Christ to your own strength. Realize when a situation of deliverance comes up and you begin to doubt, you've shifted your faith to your own strength and away from the power of God. Same with healing. And in that moment, simply say to God, Lord, I'm shifting it back. I repent of trusting in myself, but I know 
that if you are willing to heal, you will. If you are willing to deliver, you will. And that your hand is not too short to save. But you can do what you've called us to do. Listen to what Ian Bounds says. I'll read first twice, not on the board. It says, This authority is not the gift of genius. It is not found in the halls of learning. No eloquence can woo it. No industry can win it. It is the gift of God, the signet set on his own messenger. It is heaven's knighthood, given to the true and brave ones who have sought him through many an hour of tearful, wrestling prayer. This authority is not the gift of genius. It is not found in the halls of learning. No eloquence can woo it. No industry can win it. It is the gift of God. The signet set on his own messenger. It is heaven's knighthood given to the true and brave ones who have sought him through many an hour of tearful, wrestling prayer. Beautiful. It is one of those things of God. Many times we know and we seek something. I want authority or I want healing or I want breakthrough, whatever the case might be. And I know that God gives it to those who seek him diligently. And then I want to seek him diligently, but it doesn't work like that. Until Christ is the only thing you long for, you won't receive that end, that end thing that you're truly looking for. But if we seek him and him alone, remember the disciples didn't know that they were going to get this. They had other strange ideas. A military revolt against Rome, and I don't know what, what else. But they didn't know that this authority was going to be given to them. They simply followed Jesus because of who he was. Learned it a little bit more each and every day as they were following him. But they didn't follow him to receive this power. To receive this authority. To go and do these things. Yes, the temptation was there when it happened. That, yo, this is quite cool. Even the demons obey. But he gives it to those who simply seek him because of who he is. I've told the story before, but I will tell us one last story and then we'll end off. Reinhard Bonke that passed away recently. It's affiliated with our church and one of our pastors, Sias, in Stellenbosch. They went with him on a mission trip to Nigeria. And there they held crusades where literally millions of people came. You know, and as he's busy preaching the gospel, people just throw their crutches in their wheelchairs in the air. Nobody praying for them. Nothing. God simply heals when he wants to heal. He does what he wants to do. And at that night, hundreds of thousands of people respond to the gospel message. 100,000 people come to salvation. And as they are walking home to their hotel room, she has a group of guys notice Reinhardt stopping and he's speaking to a security guard of the hotel. And they're waiting for him and they're waiting a, a while off. And they see, you know, okay, but this is getting a, a bit late. He's taking long now. And they wonder, what is he saying to this guy? And they go closer. And he's busy preaching the same message that he just preached to four million people to one guy. And see, I said he could felt Jesus saying to him in his heart, but I give him the millions because he cares for the one. Because he knows what he's been called to do and he's willing to lead one to salvation when no one's looking. God rewards him and uses him in mighty ways because it's not about that. But simply following Jesus and obeying him and doing what he's called us to do. And then even if that doesn't happen, that's also okay. But we'll be faithful and do what God has called us to do. Takes us to point number three. The presence and authority of Jesus gives us boldness to go and make disciples. The presence and authority of Jesus gives us boldness to go and make disciples. 
See, right through the book of Acts, as the apostles simply obey the voice of God, every now and again it says, and the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. God's doing a work through them. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21, and he says, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. But God is doing his work through us. He's doing the work. And I want to encourage us as we see God in prayer, and as we see the brokenness of this world, and we pray, Lord, send someone. Lord, do something. We will always hear the words, all authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. But we will be those who he's going to send out. Let's stand tonight and pray together. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can come before you, Father. And I thank you, Lord. Thank you that you came to save us, Lord. That we are those sinners, Father, of and we were also the foremost. And in us, Lord, you also displayed your grace, your kindness, your patience, and your forbearance, Lord. And we want to thank you, Lord, for the work that you've done in our lives. And we want to say, Lord, as a church, we, we want to be intentional, Lord, about the things that you've commanded us to do, Lord. We want to be a people that follow, Lord. We want to be a people that go. And when we look, Father, to the brokenness around us, Lord, the confusion, Father, the hurt, the anger, just the darkness, Lord, we know that there's one answer, and that is Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Like you said, Lord, whoever follows you, they will never walk in darkness. And we want to repent, Father, of each and every situation, Father, where we could have shared the gospel, but we didn't. Where we shared some other nice advice instead of the gospel where we thought to ourselves no 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 this is not the right time the truth will hurt and we see in scripture lord that the truth doesn't hurt it sets free that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free yes it might be difficult yes it might be uncomfortable but love demands that the truth be spoken the truth is lord that you save there's one name given under heaven by which men must be saved Name Jesus Christ. If you are here tonight and you realize maybe to yourself that you've never been sent out, so therefore maybe you've never followed Jesus. In the traditional sense, you might have thought you did, but you've never truly followed Jesus. And people speak about the presence of God, it's not a familiar thing. You know stuff of God, but you've never truly experienced God. And you cannot say that you are a disciple that has been following Jesus actively. If that is you, just there where you stand, why don't you lift up your voice to God, simply ask Him to come and save you. To surrender, to say, Lord, I repent, Father, of my rebellion and my sin. And I turn to, to you, Lord, the only one that can save you. If you don't know the right word, simply say what Peter says when he was drowning, Lord, help. Lord, save. And if you are here tonight and you realize that you've not been following as you should, also there where you stand, just lift up your voice to God and say, Lord, I'm coming back. Lord, I'm following with everything in me, but also knowing that I cannot do it on my own. And as I return, I'm not returning to do a checklist. I'm simply coming to be with you. And if you are here tonight, maybe you realize that there's something that you long for more than Jesus himself. 
Just bring that before God and repent of that and ask God to come and change your heart. He's the one that changes. We cannot. And if you are here tonight and you want to be intentional again about spreading the message of the gospel, also just lift up your voice to God and say, Lord, send me. Father, I pray that you would send laborers into the harvest field because the harvest is ready. People are longing to meet God. People seeking for answers they simply don't know where. And Father, we also want to thank you, Lord, for each and every single church in this town, Lord, that is intentional about glorifying your name, Father, and lives to follow you and you alone. Brothers, Lord, and sisters, and we pray, Father, that you might sustain them, Lord, and that we might partner together, Father, to see your kingdom come and your will be done, Lord, to lift up one name. That is the name of Jesus. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. And thank you, Father, when we draw near, Father, and when we confess our sins to you, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen.